0: Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Last week, during the adult family night class, we had an interesting discussion about authority. And specifically, we were talking about the authority that the Bible has or should have in our lives and together as a church, corporately. For many of us, it was kind of a yeah, duh sort of conversation. Of course the Bible has authority in our lives. And while the discussion continued, well, what kind of authority? And who gives the Bible authority? Well, I mentioned during class a certain instructor I had for chaplaincy who was under the impression that the Bible has authority for me because I gave it authority. And uh, it was the only reason it had authority, because you would give it authority. It's subjective that way. Well, in other words, I'm the center and I give authority to the Bible or to a police officer or to a soldier or a bank or anything else like that. Well, this is something I just could not agree with. It doesn't even make sense. It certainly doesn't fit with my own experience either. Because once I started reading the Bible for myself, I discovered that it had a beauty and a power and authority all its own. I didn't need a church leader to tell me that it had authority. And neither did I give it any authority. It had authority in itself. Theologians say that this means the Bible is self-authenticating. It reveals itself to be authoritative in our lives. That it has this power in and of itself as the scriptures, as God breathed scriptures, inspired scriptures. It reveals itself as being authoritative and having authority. And I've found that to be very true in my life. But we also discuss the current state of authority and authority figures in our world today. Just hinting that anything or anyone has authority over anyone else is well blasphemous according to the pop culture religion of our times. The locus of authority resides in the self according to popular folklore. You and I are the center of the universe. We get to choose what has authority in our lives and what does not we get to choose our truth as they say and our own reality once again this doesn't make sense this doesn't fit with reality there are indeed authorities over us and our lives that we don't get to choose even living in the democracy or the representative democracy that we have the scriptures comprise one such authority The Bible has authority whether or not you believe it or trust it or obey what it says. Why? Because it is the inspired, infallible word of God. There's an aliveness to it. God reveals himself through his word. God has ultimate authority over our lives, including the forces that would attempt to control us. I think that's the good news this morning from this passage. To some, this might sound oppressive, but it's actually freeing and liberating. All good, all powerful God of love and grace has power and authority over the forces of this world that try to control us. Isn't that good news? And that good, all powerful God of love and grace became flesh and moved into the neighborhood lived among us, walked among us. Mark chapter 1 shows us, reveals to us, it's it's an epiphany to us of an all-powerful, all-good God of love and grace in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals his power over unseen but very real forces of evil, and he does so publicly with his disciples and with the crowds. So we're getting another glimpse, another epiphany of who Jesus is, who this Jesus is in the Gospel of Mark this morning. So after Jesus calls his first disciples, they go to this town called Capernaum, it says. And when it was the Sabbath day, they naturally go into the synagogue to worship God there. It was just an ordinary day. People were heading to church like usual, Um, some with the attitude of, well, here we go again, some with just having an argument with their kids on the way. Um, some trying to time the pot roast just right and wondering what so-and-so was going to say about Sunday dinner this time. Would the church coffee pot work today? How about the sound system or or the video screens today? Are my kids being too loud? Oh, was I just sleeping? Uh, Did I snort? Just normal, everyday Sabbath stuff, you know running through people's minds when they come to worship and participate in the service. But little did people know that this day was going to be different, very different. Have you ever been to a worship service that didn't quite turn out the way that you expected? Maybe the pastor tipped over the communion chalice, the elder dropped the plate of bread, or uh, did the lights go out, or the Christmas Eve, I still have one here, Christmas Eve candles light something on fire in church or something like that. This would be one of those kind of memorable worship experiences at the synagogue there in Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. No, this wouldn't be an ordinary day at the synagogue for these faithful. They'd never forget this service. Things like this didn't happen every day here. In fact, after the service, all their ordinary Sabbath questions and wonderments were just forgotten or deemed unimportant compared to their experience with Jesus that day. He was all that they could talk about. What he said, like no one else. What he did, like they've never seen before. This was going to be an unforgettable worship experience. Everybody's going to go home with a story to tell after this. Well, Mark, the gospel writer, is keeping us on our toes and keeping us busy. The action is moving quickly in Mark's gospel. And there's a lot that is missing that the other Gospels tell us about. You see, we're in a hurry to get to the cross in Mark's Gospel. The adult Jesus just comes right on the scene in Mark's Gospel. In a hurry, he's baptized. Jesus starts proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. He calls his disciples with such authority, they drop their nets, they quit their jobs, they barely say goodbye to family, and they start following Jesus. Jesus shows up. The Sabbath happens, and he teaches. Remember, the word immediately is really in the original, at least. Some of our translations have changed that word, but he uses the word immediately a lot. It's one of Mark's favorite words. Then immediately, the spirit-possessed man, or the man with an unclean spirit, shows up. And at the end of our reading, immediately, the fame of Jesus spreads throughout the land of Galilee, But Mark is just the facts man kind of guy, just the facts. He doesn't even tell us the content of what Jesus was teaching, only the manner in which he taught it, right? As one who had authority, not as the normal teachers of the law. The law of God or the will of God just exuded out of Jesus in every word he spoke. Jesus had that kind of self-authenticating authority. You just knew you were in the presence of authority when you heard him speak. But the people haven't seen or heard anything yet. See, as a visiting pastor or pulpit supply, so to speak, Jesus begins to, to teach in the synagogue. You can just imagine the people looking at their bulletins and seeing that he's, oh, he's from, he's from Nazareth. Looking at the person next to, next to you and say, oh, one of those preachers, right, uh, before he gets up. You remember, can anything good come from Nazareth, right? But it doesn't take long, and people cannot believe their, their ears, what they're hearing coming out of the mouth of this Nazarene. Could it be? This isn't like the normal scribes, teachers of the law. This Jesus speaks for God or as God rather than one who just speaks about God. So the people are amazed at his teaching, it says in verse 22, because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. He taught them as one who had this intimate knowledge and familiarity with God. He taught them as somebody who spent some time with God. He spoke as one who had authority. Indeed, he had the vested authority as the son of God, who had just been baptized in the Jordan River, you remember? When the Spirit, Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, and and the people could tell there was something different about him. And then, not far into the sermon, as you can imagine, verse 23, immediately, in the original it says that, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He knows he's Jesus of Nazareth. Well, he got that much from the bulletin, I'm sure. (laughs) Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He didn't get that from the bulletin. Holy One of God. The man with the impure spirit names Jesus, calls him out with two names, human and divine. Jesus of Nazareth, Holy One of God, the two natures of Christ. The unclean spirit names Jesus and tries to intimidate him with that knowledge. I know who you are. See, the enemies know who Jesus is before the disciples really know who he is. And by the way, the greatest fear of many of us is the greatest fear is being known or found out for who we really are. If people really knew who I am, you fill in the blank. They wouldn't like me anymore. They wouldn't love me anymore. They'd make fun of me. They'd, they'd exclude me. They'd tell others if they only knew. It's a classic tactic of Satan, the deceiver. Satan knows that for, for some people, all he has to do is whisper, I know who you are. I know what you've done. And some of us hardly know ourselves, or if we do, we're, we're ashamed and embarrassed or feel guilty about who we are or, or what we've done in the past. And so to have someone truly know us is very scary and intimidating. That's why Christian marriages, are, you know, there's a lot of vulnerability in marriage. Two people who know each other very well, because that knowledge of the other person can be used to control or manipulate. I know who you are, Ken. Boy, if word ever got out. It's a way the deceiver likes to keep people prisoners of themselves. We don't want to be known. But deep down we do. They need to be known, the good, the bad, the ugly. You see, scholars here believe that, the, that the, they thought the demons probably had the upper hand here. But this trick won't work on Jesus. Jesus knows who he is, and he's very comfortable with who he is, too. Even so, Jesus doesn't want or need publicity from a demon. And so in verse 25, he says that everyone in the church says what everyone in the church was thinking that day. Be quiet. And in the original, it's be muzzled, like muzzling a dog. Be muzzled. He says what everybody in the church was thinking that day, but he does more. Come out of him, he says. So Jesus is interrupted by a man with an unclean spirit, but instead of removing the man, catch this now, instead of removing the person, he removes the spirit. Mark is showing us the kingdom of God is not just a passive thing. The kingdom of God and the rule of God is in direct opposition to Satan's rule or Satan's claims. The very presence of Jesus incites conflict with the demonic forces of evil. I think this is a theme going through Mark 2. Just as Jesus is sent into the desert and t- was tempted by Satan himself, right after his baptism, once again he confronts demonic spiritual forces. And he also confronts the religious teaching of the day, which is setting up conflict very nicely in the Gospel of Mark, by the way. And so in verse 26, it says, The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. See, this wasn't a man who just needed to be healed. Mark makes the distinction here. This wasn't a man who was caught in a sin. No forgiveness was offered. This was a spirit that needed to go away. And it or they did submit to the power and the authority of Jesus. The man in the church that day may have been possessed by an impure spirit, but Jesus was possessed by the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God in Christ brings an end to Satan's reign and control in people's lives. For those who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, meaning those who have been baptized, today need not fear an impure spirit. For he who is in us, Christ, is more powerful than he who is in the world over any spiritual force. Jesus has authority and power over the forces of this world that try to control us. Jesus has power and authority over the forces of this world that would try to control us. So Satan may attempt to intimidate the believer and the follower of Jesus today saying, I know who you are. But the Christian knows who he or she is too. At the same time, a sinner and justified. A sinner saved by grace. A Christian is a new creation in Christ. Christians, do you know who you are? Are you confident in who you are? I'm a new creation in Christ, so whatever has been done before, whatever it is that I've been ashamed of or feel guilty about has been confessed, forgiven, forgotten by God because of the work of Christ. You see, the accuser shoots blanks because God knows who I am too. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And he loves me anyway. He loves me anyway because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for me. And hopefully my Christian friends and church family know me pretty well too. And I know myself. I know my weaknesses. And I have a Christian family to surround me and support me. My Christian family knows me and is maybe familiar with my past. And and they love me too. Just the way I am. They too have extended grace to me. I know I've made mistakes in the past. I know I have weaknesses now. I know that at some point I'm bound to slip up because I'm human. But I've got a God who's committed to loving me no matter what. And I'm committed to living for him no matter what. So I continue to practice holy habits, like confession of sin. Being part of a small group, a Christian community that can hold me accountable and pray for me and support me. And I worship God regularly in community together with his people. Do you have that? Do you have that close-knit community, that Christian community? Do you have a small group, someone who's praying for you, someone, one person, a Christian friend who knows you well and loves you anyway? Are you a church member? Are you being held accountable by others? Or are you a law unto yourself? Does authority rest in you? What about the authority of the church in our lives? You see, some people have found great confidential support and encouragement in groups like Alcoholics Anonymous and other kind of support groups where they can truly be themselves, where they can speak their minds, and where they can let the feelings flow. And for others, it just takes that one close friend who's willing to listen and be there. And once the skeletons are out of the closet, once the laundry is aired out in front of another supportive human being, even just one, And before a loving God, there could be freedom, liberation, release. And Satan can shoot blanks at you because you know who you are. An imperfect yet blood-bought saint of the living God. a Sinner saved by grace. You know it. So allowing Christ to rule over our lives and our futures as Lord, we become amazed at how the darkness flees. Darkness flees from the authority of Jesus. In verse 27, it says the people were all amazed so that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. Now, Jesus doesn't just come and talk about God or to make a theological point, he comes to tear down the tyranny of Satan in people's lives and in the broader human structures and governments and households and churches. The rule of God's kingdom is near wherever Christ is and wherever his people go. The healings and exorcisms are signs of God's kingdom presence in Christ, of God in Jesus Christ. The people of God today would do well to discern the spirits, to test the spirits, especially that spirit of our age, Uh, that says that we are the center of the universe and that all authority rests inside of us or inside the self. Most importantly, to, to be in prayer. To be in prayer for the sick and the spirit disturbed. Some illnesses and disturbances of spirit can only be handled by God and with prayer. And so we pray. And we pray for miracles to happen. We pray for God to deliver us from evil. And we pray that his teaching would continue to amaze and transform people today. And sometimes we can see that amazing things happen and healings happen instantaneously. But other times, it takes years. And we see God healing people over years through modern medications, talk therapy, therapy a supportive Christian community. See, God's not limited by what he would use to heal or deliver someone or how long it might take. One thing's for sure, though. Even the presence of Jesus causes the guilty conscience to stir the apathetic, to sit up and take notice. Jesus comes on the scene and the sinful get a little nervous and the evil goes on the defensive. The demons shriek. And when we gather for worship, you never know what will happen. You never know what will happen. Just when you're starting to decide which cookie you want after church, a word from the Lord cuts to the quick. A lyric from a song drags a tear down your cheek. A needed companion comes along your, alongside of you after the service and says, I know, and I'm here for you. I know. And I love you anyway. When Jesus is there in worship, anything can happen. But usually, usually something life-giving does. Just what we would expect from the Son of God in our midst as we submit to His, his authority. May it be so. Would you pray with me? god of power and authority we praise you worship you honor your name above all else for you are the one true living god of the universe we thank you for your mercy grace and love that compels us to follow and to live for you in all that we do lord we do continue to pray for miracles to happen among us and among those who are seriously ill today We pray that you would release those of us who are disturbed in spirit by one spirit, a spirit of one kind or another. And may your kingdom advance powerfully in our lives, but also here in our city. And may you use us as carriers of your love and grace to those whom we meet. To you be all the glory, all the honor, all the power, Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.